0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we have our first guest of 2019, which is very exciting. So we are joined by Jane Jackson, so Jane is another one of my Click the Teaches coaches. And I'm just, uh, Jane, I'm just absolutely delighted that you are joining us today because you come up with such really great, systematic, doable, practical training solutions, plans, i not, strategies, that's a good word. But before we get into some of those wonderful strategies that you have, been developing and exploring for your horses, and primarily for Percy. I thought it was important that we introduce you a little bit to people and have you give us a little bit of your background with horses, because you came into clicker training not as a novice horse person, but as a very experienced horse person. So. Would you like to share a little bit of your horse background with us? Um sure. It the older I get, the longer that gets, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'll I'll keep it as brief as I can, but um basically I was one of those really lucky kids who have had horses all of my life, quite literally, in that I inherited my first pony from my older sister when I was born. So I've literally had horses forever. Do you
0: realize how jealous, (laughs) how absolutely jealous you have just made a huge contingent Uh, of people listening? That's why I say I know
1: how lucky I am. Um, So grew up in a family, had lots of older brothers and sisters, all of them rode. um, So I had lots of wonderful exposure to, a lot of different types of riding, a lot of different types of instruction. I never had any formal instruction until I was, oh boy, middle school probably. Um, before that, it was all you know what I learned from my parents or my brothers and sisters growing up, and from your horses. Oh, oh yes,
0: yeah, because they are
1: ultimately they are the best teachers. Well, and I am the youngest of eight, and the my first pony. Literally went through all eight of us. So wow. Wow. He,
0: yeah, he had plenty to teach because yes. he taught
1: all my older siblings as well.
0: So no wonder you no wonder you appreciate ponies now as an
1: instructor. Oh, I remember the day I said, I will never give up ponies. I will never ride a horse. I will be devoted to ponies for the rest of my life.
2: Why? Why is that? Uh, I don't know. There's a... <laughs>
1: There's you a find speci- they're so di- uh, They are different somehow. They are,
2: and yeah. I think
1: part of the part of the issue is that we get very attached to them and we outgrow them. I mean, we physically get too big to ride them, and you're faced with that awful decision of: Do you keep them when you no longer really can ride them, or do you? pass them on to another child in which case your own attachment is broken Mm. and so it's and it definitely affected the way you know as my daughter came along and went through ponies it very much affected the way we chose ponies for her in that we always leased her ponies and I always felt like leasing them meant that they went back to their original owner's Who knew them best and would make the next best decision for them, rather than selling them to who knew what the final outcome, you know, where they would end up in the long run. So we were able to keep track of all my daughter's ponies. To this day, there's one still alive and we know where he is and we were aware of all the others. So yeah, a little side bit, but yes, ponies are near and dear to my heart um for many reasons. Yes, many reasons. Where,
0: where I boarded for years upon years, it was an after-school lesson program, and originally they they bred and raised and trained Welsh ponies, and then gradually the that breeding part went out, but the uh-huh. lesson program, the the real core of it what were those welsh ponies and so i learned a huge appreciation and and admiration and love of ponies and and of course oh, yes. i think part of part of, this is not what we were planning on talking about of course it's not it's
2: always like that
0: this is why these conversations are so much fun <laughs> <laughs> right right but part of part of what makes ponies so interesting is they're often trained by children because they are too small for many adults to get on and ride and so you get you can get some just amazing ponies who take care of children magnificently and then you can get the ones who really have had it up to their their the tips of their ears and know how to uh know how to intimidate their children and and, and it's not necessarily a happy relationship.
1: Well, but then there are also the ponies, and I have no scientific understanding of this at all, who know how much a child knows and gives them just enough trouble yes. to challenge them. Yes, and, yes. you know, my, my best example is my own Kizzy Pony, who she's about 10 hands, and she's 30 years old now, and she will happily drag any adult across the barnyard out to pasture, (laughs) and you better be holding on for dear life or have your pockets well-stocked with treats. But I can hand the lead rope to a 3-year-old, and she will, I swear she tiptoes next to that kid, and she doesn't try to eat grass, and she doesn't walk fast, And she stops and waits for the tiny tot to go into the
0: stall ahead of her. And I I can't explain it. I know. And these stories, you hear this over and over again, of the horse that is an absolute angel with a child, but don't put an adult on their back. Right. And I certainly saw this at the lesson barn, where you would see these horses that they clearly, and again, this isn't, you know, I think Jesus might be be shuddering when he hears this conversation (laughs) but they clearly understand and and like their role as teacher yeah and caretaker of small people yeah and they are, they are the treasures.
2: It is amazing. You know, I've, um, you see this too between animals. Um, with my dogs, Canel, who's a small Shetland and has had some arthritis for a while. When I got Paco, the bigger dog, I saw Paco play with mailboxers boxers and, you know, rough kind of playing. But every time he was with Canel and they lived together for many, many years after that, he always played so softly. He would always yeah. let her decide, you know, how much running. Um, there would be nothing rough. So he always adapted yep. to her and to the level of playing she wanted. So I'm sure there's a name for this.
1: Well, you know, I've never made that connection before, but you're exactly right, because animals do handicap themselves to play with others of their own species. That's right. But I've never really made that connection between what they yeah. do with, with different species like humans. So
2: Certainly, I mean, for, for the humans, smaller horses, if you're a beginner, they're less impressive. You know, when you have those really tall, thoroughbred that, you know, are super... Um I'm you know, or warm bloods that are not named warm bloods just for nothing. Um, and then you have a pony or a smaller horse.
0: But then of course there are those of us who have Icelandics who have little sports cars. Right. So <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway, we I I yeah, I so, totally so I to, totally sidetracked you, Jane. So you had you you had So you
2: uh, had ponies when you were young.
0: Yes. Yes, I did. And and the first competing I did
1: of any kind was actually competitive trail riding. Oh. Um so did some, you know, 50-mile rides on my pony um and then, you know, got my first horse and did a little bit of showing just sort of casually. You know, it wasn't like I was being trucked around the state or the northeast as a competitive show kid, but When there was a show locally, we'd we'd go to it and everything from the trail class to the walk trot and then the little jumping classes and all that sort of thing. Um, And then I got into eventing, (laughs) and that was what I loved. Ah. Um, And so from the time I was...
2: Can you explain for people who are not familiar what eventing consists of?
1: Um, Sure, and I'll tell you what it consisted of then compared to what it (laughs) consists of now. Oh, that's a good, yeah. Um, So, well, eventing originated from the military, and that's its foundations. Back in the day when I was doing it, it was called combined training, and you had three different days and three different phases. You had dressage on the first day, which is a uh, prescribed. I always compare it to the, to the um. Oh, what do they call it in ice skating when they have to do their little the part they never show on TV. They have to show how perfectly they do their figures.
0: Right. The um, the the, right. The school figures, isn't it? Right. Yeah.
1: So that that's the dressage, and that's, the where you know so much of Alex's work comes in, and it's about developing the horse's physical gymnastic ability to turn and also, you know, originally my understanding was always this was the parade portion of the military, you know, the horses needed to be go, to be able to go out and perform for the king's opposing forces and all that sort of thing. That that's my understanding. How historically accurate that is, I'm not 100% sure. Um, So that was the first day, and you get a subjective score at the end of that day. Um, And then the second day um, is cross-country, and that was more the battle portion of the military in that you had to go out. It's, It's a course of jumps set out in the countryside, and they are very, or were, very solid, natural obstacles. So we jumped stone walls, and we jumped into water, and we jumped out of water, and we jumped down drops, and we jumped up banks, and we jumped galloping uphill, we jumped galloping downhill. And back in the day when it was combined training, there was also the roads and tracks phases and the steeplechase phases, and I won't go into that, but that all involved the fitness of the horse. Um, and so that was a, an objective That is, remains an objective test. You either get over the fence. Or you don't. Right, or you don't. (laughs) Um, And you're allowed two refusals on the whole course. If you get a third one, you're eliminated and you're done. And then the third day, my understanding was the uh, purpose of the show jumping phase was to assess the fatigue, basically, of the horse after the previous day in that you're now jumping fences in an arena, but these fences fall down very easily. So if your horse is tired and not picking up his legs well enough or not putting enough energy into his performance as he goes around the course and knocks down rails, again, it's a, an objective. You lose points if the rails fall down or if your horse refuses to go over them. And I loved, <laughs> I loved all three of those things, and they were all always done in consecutive order. And now they've changed. The Basically, the biggest thing that has changed is the cross-country day, because it's become more and more technical as, basically, a society loses open land. So many places where these, it takes a lot of land to, to build a cross-country course on, and these places are being built up and developed and they don't have the land plus it becomes more and more expensive and you need to have advertising revenue and you need your revenue from oodles and oodles of people coming in to watch and the more compact your course is the more people you can pack into watch so you make more money with people coming to do that and then the humane aspect came in where they started making these fences so that they would fall down so that people and horses didn't get so badly hurt in a nutshell so yeah so then you know i did that
2: but it's a very complete event where you you need a lot of different skills
1: you really need to have a horse that can do all three of those phases and so therefore a horse who is very good at eventing is not going to be as skilled in any one of those phases as a horse who specializes in that. So there are horses who are really, really phenomenal dressage horses, but they're not going to be able to do the jumping that a dressage horse is. And likewise, there are horses who jump, who are phenomenal show jumpers, but they may not be able to do the cross country or the dressage. So because they specialize, the dressage horses do much more advanced movements than an event horse in a dressage phase. And the show jumpers do much higher and more complex courses than the show jumping of an eventing phase. But the event horses can do all three of those. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that I really liked eventing was you could micromanage a dressage horse and you could micromanage a show jumper. But what I was always taught was that when you went cross country, you left it up to the horse. You're not micromanaging when you're galloping downhill at a big, solid stone wall. You're saying, please take care of me. (laughs) (laughs) Do not let me die. (laughs) And so there's a real bond when you put your life in a horse's hands
0: that way. It's interesting that you say that you enjoyed all three because I often hear from people who who event that they event for the cross-country and they just get through the dressage
1: well i think i think that's very the younger you are that's absolutely true i hated dressage as far as i was concerned dressage was about going around in 20 meter circles for hours on end when i was younger but when you once you get older and you develop an understanding of how your dressage skills help the rest of it you develop an appreciation for for dressage it doesn't mean you like that competitive format in fact, the joke is that the reason they eliminated the first salute in dressage for event horses is because we couldn't stop them. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you, you know, you definitely get an appreciation for, you know, you need that gymnastic ability, that responsiveness, that flexibility. So, yes, it's, it's an essential part of it. And yes, I, I would say most people that don't do it, that's not their favorite day. But yes, um, and you... Am uh, I
0: remembering correctly that you studied with Teddy uh, Emerson?
1: Yes. He yes. taught me the vast majority of what I know, what I knew of, as far as eventing. I started as a working student for him when I was 17, maybe. I don't remember now. And then maybe I was older than that. Maybe I was in college before I went. But, yeah, so I started as a working student and spent more and more time with him and spent summers and, and Christmas vacations, and I ended up working for him for a year oh. after I got out of college as his barn manager. And I, and I um, suppose
0: we, you should let people know who he is because not everyone, if you're not if they don't know eventing, they won't know who he is.
1: Well, Denny's from um, Stratford, Vermont, so my neck of the woods. And he, oh boy, I should quote the years he, he has competed for the United States in world championships and Olympics back in the uh, 70s and 80s, I want to say.
0: Which was a great era to be. That was a great um, day.
1: Well, and it was when the United States was extremely successful. In, the, in 1976, the United States brought home a yes. gold medal in eventing and, um, Yeah and there were years 70 uh let's see 19 uh 78 won the world championships so yes it was definitely eventing's heyday so it was it was a great time to be in eventing then so you learned you learned
0: from a superb horseman and you're bringing that background forward to clicker training yes yes yeah so given Given that you were learning from uh, a world class uh, trainer and rider, what is, it that, what is it that appealed to you or drew you into the clicker training? What, what did it add? You know, I wish I could say... How did you, how did you stumble across it? Was it through dogs? No. Or was it directly with horses? No,
1: it was your Equus article back in 99. Oh. And actually... Oh, my goodness. And I had to piece that together afterward because I, I didn't know initially, but I do know that it was, was the first time I held a clicker in my hand. And it was with a dog, but I specifically signed up for that class with that puppy because I wanted to get hands-on with this clicker thing, which I had read about in an article. So that's why I piece it back together to the year before was 99 when you had that article. So that must have been where I read about it. And you know, so many people say that this horse or this problem brought them to clicker training. And I didn't have that. For me, I think it was just curiosity and interest and a fascinating way uh, to work
0: yeah. with animals. Which is what brought me to clicker training as well. It wasn't, it was, I was curious about it. It, it yeah. appealed to me. It wasn't yep. because, oh, nothing else is working and I'm just desperate. But what I what I immediately saw was how much my training just suddenly, it, it was like I'd been on a plateau and all of a sudden I'm up mm-hmm. on a completely new Uh, plane of training because I added in the clicker training. Yeah, and a new plane of communication. But but I was drawn to it from from curiosity. Yep. So we were both drawn to it for the same reason, that we were curious. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: interesting. But wasn't there in in both your case uh, ethics somehow? Involved in the curiosity? No. Well, in hindsight only, I would
1: say. Yeah. You know, having been a horse person all my life, Mm -hmm. especially as a child, I was taught that this is the way you had to do things. Right. You know, so it wasn't that I was present, you know, many people coming into it now are saying, oh, well, we need an ethical way. The way I was taught was the ethical way. Mm Mm-hmm. At the time, yeah, you didn't abuse horses, but you did have to tell them who's the boss. And you know, when you're right. eight years old and your pony's dragging you around and you're not feeling safe, mm-hmm. you do what the grown-ups tell you to in order to feel safe.
0: Right.
1: Um, so I didn't initially do that. It, I, I would say it was experiential afterward that I... Saw the difference in um, relationship mm-hmm. that occurred as a result of clicker training.
0: Right.
1: And the first horse, you know, for me it was, is, it was a big problem solving tool. So even though I didn't go looking for it for that reason, the first horse that we actually used it on was my daughter's Morgan. Um, and he came to us very head shy. And so I was learning about this targeting stuff. And so she taught him to target her hand. And then she would put her hand higher and move it more quickly. And he loved it. And it transformed him from a horse that if you move too quickly with your hands, he would leap back to a horse who loved to see her come out. And what she finally, she named it High Five, and she would walk out and walk up to him and throw her hand up in the air, Wow. which to a lot of horses and to him would have give him the fear that he was about to be struck, and he'd reach up and touch her hand Wow. and get a click and a treat for it. Now, I tell that story a lot because, as we talked about before, we do outgrow these ponies, and when she outgrew him... And he went on to another little girl. That little girl did not do clicker training. She did not know anything about this behavior. And two years later, we ran into him at a competition. And Anna saw him across the grounds. He was in a stall in a tent. And she walked up to him and threw her hand up in the air, and he targeted her hand. It
0: gives you goosebumps, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it always puts a knot in my throat. Uh, Yeah. Because... She hadn't seen him for two years. Nobody had done that with him for two years. And he remembered it and responded. So, yeah. yes. They
2: don't forget. Either way, yes. good things or bad things, they don't forget.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. They
2: adapt to their new environment, but they don't forget.
0: Yeah. yeah but the retention in the training is phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah.
1: And that isn't to say that somebody couldn't have made him think that having a hand thrown up in your face was scary again. Oh, for sure. He could have relearned that. Right. But he was with a nice family, and that certainly never happened. And I don't know that that's what happened to him originally. You know, maybe it was an accidental thing. Maybe it was a one-trial learning where something happened to make him head-shy initially, but... he was able to get over it with clicker training and, and maintain that afterwards.
2: But we all know that, you know, behavior is always is never um, out of context of the environment. Right. And so if the environment comes back to what it was before, the behavior will yeah. come back too.
0: Yeah. You could re trigger it. You
2: change the environment, you change the behavior.
1: And there's so much
0: involved in environment. Yeah. So you, um, you started to explore clicker training with your daughter's Morgan. What was his name? Ty. And he is the one Ty. who is still alive. Oh,
1: excellent. Yep, fourteen three little dynamo. She got her B and Pony Club on that pony. He's, he wasn't a horse. He 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 wasn't a pony. He was a horse. He was fourteen three, and she insisted that we call him a horse <laughs> and not a pony because he was our first horse.
2: What's what's the limit? What uh, where, when do you become a horse? 142. 142.
1: Four, 142 yeah. you're a horse or you're a pony? 142 you're a pony. 142
0: okay. and a Three, millimeter you're-, you're a horse. Okay. Yes. And many is the what the the pony whose feet have been left long or something so that they can Oh. Yeah. Or shod or unshod. Yeah. You know. They'll they'll
1: put shoes yes. on them or take shoes off them in order to right. fit a particular class at a horse show.
0: Yes. So uh so you started to explore clicker training with your daughter's Morgan. Yeah. And so how did that what were, what did you what stood out? How did that begin to expand for you? Well so I I think other people made faster progress than
1: I did because I didn't have a problem horse. You know that was an issue, but it wasn't. You know it wasn't like his personality needed this new way of of um, communicating. So it was sort of a problem right. solving thing initially that we would use it here, use it there, and I was using it with that puppy and got dynamite results. Even though the woman who taught the class you know it was just a fraction of what she was doing but it got as i say it got a clicker in my hand um and i joined the oh what was the list click riders that was the first the first list click rider right? i list, joined yeah. that that was a great um, list um used it for yeah. a horse we had at the time on trailer loading and then let's see i'm trying to remember the year so 99 it was in 2000 and Eight seven six, 2006, I guess, um, was the year that Andy was born. So, so I did not have a horse from the time my daughter was born until she was 13. Of course, I got her a pony when she was three, so we still (laughs) had a pony on the property, but I wasn't riding. But I got back into you know dealing with ponies and And teaching. Um, I helped teach at the local pony club when she joined pony club and got more and more involved in that. And then when she was 13, I was given a horse and oh boy, was I thrilled to have one of my own again and we could go riding together and whatnot. But then I decided that I wanted to to do more teaching and, and have my own ponies for that. And so I got a little mare that was bred and my Andy Pony was born the next year and that was when I decided okay I'm really going to do this. This po- this foal that is born is going to be raised with positive reinforcement. I am going to fully immerse myself because up until then that, that previous seven years I'd been playing with it and dabbling with it and trying it for this and trying it for that and um, my I, it was a conscious commitment when he was born that I was now a clicker trainer. I was now. That doesn't mean I knew what I was doing yet. Right. It doesn't mean I didn't run into lots of problems that I still went, wait a minute, how do I do this with this? But the commitment was there and has been maintained ever since.
0: This seems like a great place to jump in and say we'll continue next week with our conversation with Jane. We're heading towards a tremendous teaching strategy that Jane has been developing to help with her very vigilant, very reactive horse. And I know a great many of you have horses that are very similar to the one that Jane has been working with. This is one of her homebreds, and you'll learn more about him as the conversation continues. Jane's been developing this teaching strategy that is designed to help him cope with new environments and distracting conditions. And I know a great many of you are going to find this to be of tremendous interest. But instead of just jumping in and asking Jane about this, what she's been doing with her horse, I thought it would be good to start by introducing you to Jane, letting you meet her and learn a little bit about her background. So next week, we'll continue with this conversation. We'll find out what happened when Jane started raising horses that were clicker trained from birth.